Hey, Go Beyond listeners, Taylor and I recorded these episodes with Fidelity Charitable earlier this year and had published the first episode in the series before COVID-19 came through and upended pretty much everything. We wanted to return to the series now that some modicum of normalcy looks to be on the horizon. Donor-advised funds are looking to be a really key giving channel moving forward, so we didn't want you to miss out. The world around us is changing rapidly, and your job as a fundraiser or nonprofit marketer is evolving with it. We're pursuant. We're built by fundraisers for fundraisers, and we've been in your shoes. So we want to bring you tips and tools that you can use to meet you where you are in your current reality and help you go beyond to where you really want to go. You're tuned in to a pursuant listening experience. Hey, Go Beyond listeners. Welcome to part two of our podcast series with Fidelity Charitable on donor-advised funds. If you are tuning in for the first time, I recommend going back and listening to part one of this series. In the second installment, Karen Heald, Vice President Philanthropic Strategist, unpacks how donors who prefer donor-advised funds think, their typical giving behaviors, and how your nonprofit should approach these types of supporters. Hello, Go Beyond listeners. This is Leah speaking today, and I'm excited to be kicking off the part two of our series that is focusing on donor-advised funds. What are they? What kind of donors invest in them? What does it mean for nonprofits? We're discussing all of those things in this series. And in this particular segment, we are speaking with Karen Heald, and her title is Vice President Philanthropic Strategist at Fidelity Charitable. And what that means is that Karen spends her time speaking with donors and learning about their interests and helping them figure out which donor-advised funds is the best fit for them. Karen, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So glad to have you on. So the first question that I wanted to dive into today is, who is the typical donor who is investing in a donor-advised fund? That is a great question. So I do have a lot of demographic information that I can share and some stats that are interesting, and we'll give you some insight into that. I would say, broadly speaking, our donors are, if I had to describe them, I would say they're very strategic when it comes to their giving, and they are also very committed. So I say those two things because, you know, to open a donor-advised fund, you have to be pretty intentional about what you want to do, and you have to be pretty certain that this is something you're going to want to do over the long term. And the reason I'm saying that is because most of our donors, when they open a donor advised fund at Fidelity Charitable, typically it's because they're approaching retirement age and they're at a point in their lives where perhaps they're going to have some more time on their hands um, to think about philanthropy and how they want to have an impact on the world. But you know, things are shifting. If you're retiring, you know, your financial situation is going to be changing. So people are thinking, how am I going to fund this philanthropy in retirement? So oftentimes we see folks in their 50s when they're still earning, choosing to sort of front load a donor advised fund with some philanthropic dollars that they can enjoy giving away once they're in retirement. I would also say in terms of a donor advised fund donor, and sometimes I'll say DAF, which is, you know, the acronym for a donor advised fund, I would say they're also, they tend to be financially savvy. 
I wouldn't say necessarily sophisticated, that's not a requirement, but I say savvy because oftentimes our donors are funding their donor advised funds, not with cash, but with appreciated securities. So these are donors who either through their own research and knowledge or on the advice of a a tax or a financial advisor are choosing to use appreciated stocks, mutual funds, things like that to fund their donor advised fund. And I am not a tax advisor, but the advantage here is to avoid the capital gains tax and to have that extra money to be able to put towards their philanthropy. Hey, Karen Taylor here. So a question about that. We've talked a little bit about who is a typical donor to a DAF, but how would you say one goes about like even maybe they don't even know where to start? How would they get into the mindset of, oh, I should find this fund to give to Let's talk a little bit about how someone might even come to the realization that they should give in this and that they can give in this way. Yeah. So I think with a donor advised fund, while they have grown a lot in say the past 10 years, I would say it's not something the average person is aware of. Most of the people that I'm working with initially heard about a donor advised fund from some sort of an advisor. Maybe they were in their attorney's office talking through like an estate plan. Perhaps it was a yearly conversation they're having with their accountant when they do their taxes, or maybe there's somebody helping them, you know, invest their retirement assets. And perhaps that person said, hey, I noticed you do a lot of charitable giving. Have you ever thought about opening a donor advised fund? No, I was curious about that because right before this, I was, I was talking to my husband about, oh, I'm about to go record this podcast about donor advised funds. And he was in the financial industry for a long time. And he was like, I don't know what that is. You know, he was like, what is that? So I was explaining it to him and it really got me thinking about just the average person, maybe not being aware of it and kind of trying to, to get into the mindset of how would one become aware of, you know, this method of giving. So Karen, when it comes to how donors are using their donor advised funds. Typically, a donor advised fund gift, and correct me if I'm not getting the terminology exactly correct, typically when that comes into a nonprofit, the nonprofit does not always know who the original source of those funds was. They just know that a certain fund is giving them. And so it kind of puts nonprofits in an interesting place where they don't have a specific person to thank for the gift and to engage with. And so when it comes to the kind of donor who would choose to give via a donor advised fund, they're also kind of implicitly choosing a more hands-off relationship with the nonprofit. So is that kind of a, a characteristic that you're seeing with donors, like in the, the way that they would like to engage with nonprofits? So I would say, well, certainly some donors do prefer to give anonymously through a donor advised fund. And you are correct. That is an option. Someone can log into their account and recommend a grant to a charity and specifically choose not to disclose their name or address. I will say in looking at the data, about 90% of the grants or gifts that we are sending out on behalf of our donors, do disclose the donor's name and address. I think sometimes what possibly might happen is, you know, there's a letter that comes with the check and typically the donor's name and address would be on that letter. It's possible that those two things are not staying together um, once they reach the charity's office. That's one guess. Because I will say, in terms of the donors that I work with, 
they're typically super engaged, like know the nonprofit organizations they're granting to pretty well. In fact, so 75% or more of our donors say that they volunteered at the charities that they're supporting in the last year. So while it is an option to give anonymously, I think typically they are intending to disclose their name and their address, and they actually do want to be thanked. I remember before I worked at Fidelity Charitable, I worked in the fundraising office of two different charities in the Boston area. And I remember feeling a little bit confused when we would get a check from a donor advised fund. And I would say to myself, you know, who are we supposed to thank? Are we supposed to thank the donor? Are we supposed to thank this entity? You know, whoever the sponsoring organization of the donor advised fund is, well, I can tell you that Fidelity Charitable does not need to be thanked. It's definitely the donor. You should definitely, for the nonprofit organizations out there, they should definitely be reaching out to the donor, looking for that name and address, which hopefully is on that on that packet coming from the donor advised fund. Yeah, thanks for correcting that misconception on my part. That was really helpful. So kind of the other part of my question was, what are some of the primary ways that people are using donor advised funds to give to nonprofits? I think you kind of mentioned that it can be a way to sort of plan legacy giving, but what are some other kinds of ways that people are using donor advised funds? Yeah, I think that People do use donor-advised funds as a way to help them plan out their charitable giving. We have an option where you can set it up online for a charity to receive automatically receive a grant or a gift out of your account on an annual basis or on a monthly basis, quarterly basis, you get the idea, which is a nice option for people who sort of want to set it and forget it. They know they want to support X, Y, and Z you know, every year and they don't want to forget about it. I'll also say that what's nice about a donor advised fund is when things come up. So whether it's a natural disaster, unfortunately, we've seen lots of those in the last several years, things like Hurricane Dorian, the Amazon fires, wildfires in California all just come to mind. You know, people have sort of money already set aside. So it's not like, you know, that they're asking themselves, can I afford to support this, you know, out of my pocket? It's oh, I'm so happy I have this donor advised fund. I have charitable money sitting there. So we see a lot of disaster-related grant making coming out of the accounts and we try to help our donors there. And then I agree, the legacy is a really important part of conversations for nonprofit organizations to be having with donors who they know has a donor advised fund. And the reason I say that is if you have a donor advised fund, you're thinking about the future. You're probably thinking about your legacy probably asking yourself some of those big questions. So they tend to be really planful, really consistent. And, you know, legacy is a conversation that fundraisers, um, folks at nonprofit organizations should definitely be asking donors with donor advised funds, you know, what they're thinking about doing, whether it's one of your planned giving options, or perhaps they would like to name your organization as one of the beneficiaries of their donor advised fund once they pass away. I think that's interesting and good to know. You mentioned, Karen, that let's get into the mindset of them a little bit more. These are some of the ways that they give. You mentioned that they're strategic and they're committed. What are some other typical just giving behaviors of a a DAF donor? So aside from being strategic and committed, part of this mindset, I think, It's a lot around that legacy conversation. That's a lot around values. One of the things donors are eager to talk about is that sort of next generation conversation. Either I'm raising kids and they're still young, or perhaps I have grandkids now. They're thinking about 
what is my legacy? How are my kids or grandkids going to share the same values as me? Do the kids and grandkids think charitably? Are they philanthropically inclined? What have I done to sort of introduce them to this world? And those are things that we can really help them with. Those are conversations I'm having with folks every day. And it's one of my favorite conversations because I think as individual as all of the different donors that I work with are, wanting to unite family, whether you have children or not, whether it's siblings, aunts, uncles, whoever, that's an area we can really help people with because those are sometimes harder conversations to have. They're more values-based. They're not financial conversations. It's more what inspires you, you know, talk to me about your values. You know, when you think about your kids or when you were a child, what inspired you the most? Like, who did you look up to? What had an impact on you? And those are really interesting conversations that oftentimes donors are not having with anybody. So I would say they are ripe for conversations like that, just authentic conversations about who they are, what drives them, what's important to them as they think about the next generation and sort of their legacy. Karen, as you were speaking, this story came to mind for me that a lot of what you were saying really had some alignment with this anecdote. So I have a friend who is a school teacher. She's in her early 30s. Actually, she just turned 30. And she was moved to open up a bank account with the intention of putting money in it for giving away to charity. And so she was putting money in this every month and she had a certain amount saved up. But when it came time for her to, she'd reached an amount where she was like, okay, I have this amount of money and I want to donate it to one organization. She came to us, her group of friends, and she was like, hey guys, I've got this amount of money and I really want to donate it to a charity. Who should I give it to? And so what's interesting is we kind of started asking her some of those same questions. Like, what are the things that you care about? What are some causes that matter to you? And, you you know, we pointed her to, to a couple of different search engines, I guess, for nonprofits. But it's interesting because my friend, who's a 30 year old single, isn't, you know, doesn't have probably a lot in savings giving was something that really meant a lot to her. Is she someone or someone like her? Are they someone who should be considering a donor advised fund, but they just don't know about it? Absolutely. I think for those people out there who do know about donor advised funds, I think there is a feeling that donor advised funds are only for the very wealthy. And that's actually not been really our experience at Fidelity Charitable. We have a minimum of $5,000 to open an account. And while a segment of our donors do have large balances, you know, like of $250,000 or more in their account, that's only about 10% of our donors. So when you're looking at our accounts, more than half of the accounts have balances under $25,000. So I think that surprises many people. It looks a little bit different than what you might see for a private foundation if you were to look at those account balances. Um, And when you look at all of our accounts, the median account size for accounts at Fidelity Charitable is just over $20,000. So there's a lot of benefits to a donor advised fund, even if you are not a millionaire. So let's say you want to open an account with $5,000. It's really nice. You know, if your friend decided she wanted to give, you know, to 10 different organizations, a donor advised fund is a great vehicle. You know, it's like one step away from online shopping. You know, we have a wonderful online portal. You hop online, you can do some research on charities, or if you already know where you want to give, you just look them up, you type in the dollar amount you want to give, and you submit the grant request. It's it's very simple. It's also really great. You know, we all have to file taxes once a year for your friend if she had decided to give to 10 different charities. If she had gone through a donor advised fund, there's just one receipt, right? 
you get your tax deduction for the money you put into your donor advised fund. And that is the your charitable contribution for the year. That's what you need to include on your taxes rather than 10 different receipts if you gave to 10 different charities. It's, you know, there's a, little, there's a little bit less paperwork involved, which I personally see as a benefit. I think it's nice. I think that is a great question, Leah, because I was thinking about that too, is I do think that there is a perception about donor advised funds that there, it's only really wealthy people who are giving through that. And so you telling us that a majority of the accounts are $20,000 or, or less, that's fascinating to me because I was one of those people that perceived them as something that were really just like, you have to have a minimum of a million dollars to put in. And so I, I'm glad that we brought that up in this conversation to make people aware of that and, and mindful of that, that no, it's, it's for a much wider audience of people than maybe as the perception out there. So Karen, I have one final question for you, and it has to do with kind of this, there's a parallel track or trend that I've noticed with, in the past, people typically supported three organizations, their, their church or synagogue, you know, whatever their local religious organization was, their alma mater, and one other, maybe one other local nonprofit. But today, there are so many more different kinds of 501c3s that people have the option to donate to. There's also the rise of things like crowdfunding, like Kickstarter and some of these other platforms. So it's kind of presented this paradox of choice to donors. And so I wonder if you see any correlation between the rise in donor-advised funds and the just plethora of nonprofits that are out there that donors have the option of giving to? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say, you know, my observations, I think the answer lies in sort of the similarities that we're seeing as the new generation, the millennials are coming into more wealth, into their 30s. I think this is a generation that really values things like transparency, collaboration, certainly technology. And I think that is a trend we will continue to see. I think the world feels smaller now and more accessible and more connected than it did for previous generations. And I think younger people just, you know, maybe maybe starting out thinking about the kind of impact they want to have on the world, they feel really empowered to make a difference. And I think collaboration across social media and people able to sort of put a voice behind what they believe in in an easier way is definitely having an impact. And I do think a donor advised fund is a nice, easy tool for people who want to give to a number of different causes, at least from a paperwork perspective, it simplifies things a bit. But I I do, I think people are really pushing nonprofits towards transparency, asking a lot of questions around impact and, you know, how are you, how are you driving your mission? And I think without social media, it would be, we'd be in a different place. Well, Karen, thank you so much for spending time with us today. If people who are listening want to get a hold of you, ask more questions, just dig deeper into this topic, what's the best way for them to do that? I would love it. Please feel free to connect with me. I'm on LinkedIn, of course. I'm happy to have, you know, email or phone conversations with anyone who's interested. I'd love it. All right. Well, everybody, thanks for tuning in today. Thank you, Karen, again, for lending us some of your wisdom. And we look forward to wrapping up this topic in our third installment of this series on donor advised funds, where we will be discussing why nonprofits should be engaging donor advised funds, donors, and tips for how to best go about that.
Thank you. Bye. Hey, y'all. Thanks for tuning in with us. Be sure to check out all of the latest and greatest Pursuant resources at Pursuant.com or drop us a line at info at Pursuant.com.